When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Alan Stein Jr. He's the author of the brand new book, Sustain Your Game, High Performance Keys to Manage Stress, Avoid Stagnation, and Beat Burnout. Most times when people talk about performance. They're talking about how to improve your performance. Not all of them are talking about sustaining your performance long term. They're not addressing burnout or lack of work-life balance or that general feeling of being overwhelmed and constantly stressed out. However, any longtime listener of this show knows those are all right in the wheelhouse of this podcast. And his book, Sustain Your Game, essentially talks about how We will always be a work in progress and under construction and constantly evolving, but that's okay as long as we're thinking about short-term, medium-term, and long-term, which is exactly how he focuses on it. Performance in the short-term, pivoting to avoid stagnation in the medium-term, and then prevailing and beating burnout and making a lasting impact in the long-term. In his book, he pulls together a lot of invaluable advice and lessons from successful athletes he's worked with, entrepreneurs, social scientists, journalists, CEOs, business coaches, and many more people, and even his own personal stories from 15-plus years working with high-performing athletes, including Kevin Durant and Kobe Bryant. So if that interests you, that's what this episode's about. I know you're going to enjoy it, so... I will get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Alan Stein, Jr. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Alan Stein, Jr. Alan, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so great to be with you, Eric. This will be a lot of fun. I'm super excited about the topic of your new book, which is called Sustain Your Game, High Performance Keys to Manage Stress, Avoid Stagnation, and Beat burnout. And those three things I think everybody currently is not only dealing with right now in excess, but has been dealing with in varying degrees for some time now. Is that what your experience has been personally, as well as with people you've run into? Oh, absolutely. I mean, these things were approaching record highs before the two-year global pandemic hit. And I think the pandemic's only heightened them exponentially. And, you know, for me, I'm always writing the book that mirrors what it is I'm going through in my own life. You know, in essence, I write the book that I need to read myself. So uh, a few years ago, I wrote my first book, Raise Your Game, which was about how do I reach optimal performance? And I I wrote that because I had just left the basketball training space and started a brand new career as a corporate keynote speaker. And then a couple of years after that, I started to find that I was struggling with stress, stagnation, and burnout, which was the impetus for the second book. So yes, I can say 
through personal experience and observation that's something I've gone through. And then, of course, when I, I lifted up the hood and started doing some research and conducting you know, tons of interviews, I found that I was most certainly not the only one, that so many people from a variety of ages, a variety of industries, even from a variety of different countries, were all experiencing this trilogy that not only undermines our performance, but absolutely undermines our sense of fulfillment as well. It sounds like you went from one type of coaching to another type of coaching, but both of them have their stress points, their struggles. What are some of the similarities and differences there? Oh, they most certainly do. You know, one of the things that I enjoy most about my work is that so many of the things that I learned through the the game of basketball as a player and as a performance coach, and, and I've had an opportunity to work with some of the best players and coaches to ever play the game, that how so many of those principles and strategies and mindsets and disciplines have such high utility that they apply to every single area of life. I mean, the things I've learned through the game of basketball have helped me as a business owner. They've helped me as a speaker. They've even helped me as the father of three children. So I I love talking about principles with high utility that, that we can all figure out how to apply to our lives. Along those same lines, you know, I found that, you know, elite level basketball players, they also deal with stress, stagnation, and burnout. That that's not something that just us mere mortals deal with. They deal with it as well. So these are some pretty uh, ubiquitous concepts and you know human experiences that we all share. And uh, yeah, that's one of the things I just I love most about the work I do. Now, obviously, people throw around that word or pair of words, burnout. If if it's one word, it's two words. It is two words. It's also one word. But uh, <laughs> people throw that around, the term around. Kind of like kids do when they're they're slightly hungry and need a snack and they go the exaggerated sense of saying, I'm starving. <laughs> You're not starving. You don't have a concept of that. You never have. You never will, most likely, and hopefully you won't. But burnout is more of a, a long-term thing when you're not managing stress in the short term, which is exactly how you kind of frame it in the three parts of the book where you talk about perform, pivot, and prevail. You probably heard a lot of people talking about burnout, although that's actually one of the things we don't do is we either trivialize it, talk about it like it's that word starving and exaggerate it, or we don't deal with it at all. We push it away, push it down, hide it and long term. And then that's when it flares up and like burns us out. Oh, so well said. I'm so glad you went in this direction. And uh, I just made a note to myself that I, I think I do occasionally say I'm starving and I'm I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to switch up my word choice because you're 100 percent right. That just reeks with over dramatization. But yes, it's it's certainly true. Well, when it comes to burnout, it's now been my experience, both personally and through the research and the interviews that I've conducted, that burnout really stems from misalignment. It stems from when the hours that you're putting in at work and the sacrifices that you're making to be good at your job are no longer in alignment with what you find meaningful, or you no longer find purpose in your work, or you're no longer curious or fascinated by your work, or you no longer really enjoy your colleagues and your coworkers and the people that you do work with. You know, when when you no longer feel like you're making a contribution or you no longer feel like your work is making a difference, that's when, when we're at risk of burnout. So there, there certainly is an exhaustion component. And I'm, I'm not advocating that anybody works you know, an obscene number of hours per week for long periods of time. That will lead to just pure physical exhaustion. But burnout is actually a very specific and technical term that, as I said, stems from misalignment. Because I do know people, and I've been one of them in the past, that can work a substantial amount of hours, but my work actually fills me up. 
it lights me up. It fills my bucket. I enjoy it. I find meaning in my work. I find purpose. I'm fascinated by it. I feel like I'm making a difference. I, I love the people I'm serving and the people I'm doing it with. And when those things are banging on all cylinders, even when I'm working a lot of hours, I'm not at risk at burnout. So it's really that specific term. Yeah, it recharges you. It's it's kind of the living out of that old adage, which in the past and even to a very small percentage now I have issue with, which it goes like this. It's, you know, find something that you love to do and get somebody to pay you for it and you'll never work a day in your life or some mix of that language. Yeah. And, and I think there's shreds of truth to that. I mean, uh, I think where sometimes that can be a little bit misleading mm-hmm. is to imply that if you love what you do, that it's not required or the prerequisites not still putting in a tremendous amount of effort and, and doing so consistently. I mean, I, I love what I do. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't. But a couple of things. One, I do work very hard at what I do. I, I work hard to be in service of others. I work hard in leveling up my craft and I put a ton of time into it. And at the same time, as much as I, I love what I do, it doesn't mean that every moment of my work is puppy dogs and ice cream and rainbows. I mean, there are some things that are required of me to do my job at a high level that simply aren't my favorite things to do. They're not my preference, but I still have to do those things. You know, I, I've, I've always been a big believer that you need to do what's required. You need to do what's necessary in order for you to become the person that you're trying to become. And, and we're not always passionate about every single one of those things. Well, and even if you're in a role that checks all the boxes and you love it, you can still overextend yourself. I mean, there's a ton of data in the book talking about that, where people are working way more than the 40 hours a week. They're working an average, you know, more of like 47. And then some are even working 50 plus and 60 plus hours a week. Oh, for sure. One of the things that I really believe has benefited me the most because of my sports background, you know, where, where I spent 15 years working with elite level basketball players and coaches and teams and the way basketball or really any sport is structured is you have a distinct in season, you know, that's the competitive season when you're playing games, but then you have an off season and a preseason. You, you can kind of look at the calendar year and you can chunk it into, you know, like a pie chart. You've got those three different slices and you know, one of the main focal points of the off season is to rest and recover and rejuvenate is to step away from your sport and let your mind and body and heart heal and, and rejuvenate. And I realized that in the quote unquote real world and in, and in work, uh, most people don't have that luxury. Most of us are required to do our work on a year round basis. We don't have a quote unquote off season. We don't have the luxury of having an off season built into what we do, but we can still adopt some of those principles. You know, as a performance coach, I understood that if I was going to have you come into the weight room, Eric, and I was going to really push you and challenge you and take you through an intense and exhaustive workout, that that had to be followed by some rest and recovery. That's the only way your body would be able to repair itself and build itself back even stronger was if you had a substantial amount of time off after that. You know, it's simply not sustainable to have you come into the weight room eight hours a day, seven days a week and push to your limits. So I've always understood this concept of anytime you're going to work hard, that has to be followed with periods of, of rest and recovery and rejuvenation. So I've really tried to incorporate that in, you know, to the traditional cyclical calendar year of a you know someone working in business where you don't get that. So I've found ways to try to incorporate that in smaller doses. And you know, I know for me, uh, some of the rules I put in place, you know, I make sure during at least one hour during the traditional work day that I take off, that I don't do any work, I untether from electronics and devices. You know, I make sure at least one full day out of each week 
I do the same. I take off, don't do any work, untether from devices. At least once a quarter, I try to take a long three-day weekend to do the same. And then I, I do take advantage on a yearly basis of taking a week or two vacation, You know, sometimes pre-scheduled, sometimes when I need it most. So I've tried to incorporate this concept of building in rest and recovery times and building in a quote-unquote off-season even if the off season is only for an hour a day or a three day weekend, but using those principles. And that's one of the things that I believe allows me to sustain incredibly high energy very consistently. And you just spelled out some of the practical ways that somebody can live out having agency on their time, even if they don't feel like they've got a lot when it comes to say their day job, you know, I can't say, Hey, I'm going to take this month off and, or I'm going to choose this quarter to be a light quarter because, you know, heads would roll, but don't not try to have those conversations. Those are definitely sometimes workable scenarios and situations where you can say, Hey, I'm going to work on this thing this quarter. And it's a lighter lift thing in order to recharge my brain towards these other things that I won't be doing this quarter. And then I'll be back at it, et cetera. But you giving the example of, you know, the once a week, the once a quarter, once a year type scenarios, you can cyclically, seasonally, those are ways you can do that even regardless of your position for the most part, but also then your life life, your, your, that work life balance. You have agency in your life side of things that even if the work side of things will never change, it's always static. You can change some of the life stuff. You can change some of the schedule there, hopefully. Yes, you most certainly can. And you can absolutely have the discipline to say, I'm going to step away from my desk for 30 minutes to enjoy my lunch break in stillness or to sit outside and enjoy some fresh air. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, shovel food in my mouth while I'm returning emails. You know, you can do the same thing with, Hey, you know, my, my child has a, a t-ball game or a dance recital tonight and I'm going to leave my phone in the glove compartment. So I don't have the temptation to be checking texts and emails while my child's playing a sport or or doing their activity. And same thing at night. You know, I'm going to make the conscious choice to not sit up in bed staring at my device and feel that I need to get this certain work done. Like you have to have some of these times built in. Yes, I certainly recognize if you're working in a traditional work structure that you don't always have the luxury of taking days off or taking extended vacations and, and that there might be certain times of year, depending on your industry or vocation that actually are lighter or heavier as far as a workload's concerned. So those are all things that can be managed over time. But the daily stuff of being able to say, you know, I, I'm going to have some time in the morning for a quality morning routine. I'm going to be able to step away, even if it's just for 15 or 20 minutes during my lunch break. And then in the evenings, I'm going to find a way to put up some guardrails and some parameters where I don't feel that I have to be working 24 seven. And when you can put those types of guardrails up, you know, you, you can sustain high performance and sustain high energy for long periods of time. It's when we get away from doing those things that that starts to accumulate. And then we, we feel anxious. We feel stressed. We're not sleeping as well. And that can often lead to not eating as well or, or skipping workouts. And then it, it just slowly starts to spiral and, and deteriorate and erode our ability to be our best self. So we, we have to care enough about ourselves, care enough about the people we serve which is our families and our colleagues and coworkers, as well as customers and clients, to be able to put those types of practices in place. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. Just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people. Or, at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, this is all about the short term versus the long term and well, and the medium term as well, as you put it in the book. When we talk about perform, pivot and prevail, I'd like to dive a little deeper into each of those sections of the book. Let's start with perform. This is the place where we've kind of already been treading here anyway, where we're talking about managing stress in the day to day, doing that now so that you're staving off, you're being proactive, in other words, towards potential long term eventual burnout. What are some of the things that fall in this managing stress in the day-to-day, the short term? Well, the biggest mind shift that I've had when it comes to stress is acknowledging the fact that stress does not actually come from external forces or circumstances or events. Our stress comes from our resistance to those things or our perspective of those things or how we choose to internalize those things. And that was a massive shift because I always viewed stress as being something that was happening to me. My newfound perspective is that stress is a choice, that stress is something that I invite into my life by making the choice to resist reality. And resisting reality is simply a game that you can't win. Now, to be clear, I want to make a couple disclaimers. One, this is much easier for me to say than it is to do. I'm not going to sit here and pretend for one second that I never get stressed out. You know, this, I'm a work in progress. You know, I have not mastered this by any means, but it's something I've been able to systematically and progressively lower my overall stress on a daily basis with this shift in perspective. The other thing I'll say is a lot of the things that happen in the world, a lot of these circumstances and events, a lot of what people say and what people do are not to my liking. You know, they're not my preference. I'm not even saying that some of those things are inherently good. What I've learned is the distinction that these are things that are outside of my control. You know, the world's going to do what the world's going to do. And it's my job to adapt to that and to be very thoughtful and conscious and intentional in my responses to what's going on, because it's, it's the response that will ultimately create the stress. The best definition, or at least the best definition that's resonated most strongly with me for stress is the one that I heard from Eckhart Tolle, who, for lack of a better word, is kind of a modern day philosopher. And he said his definition of stress is it's the desire for things to be different than they are in the present moment. And I just found so much power in that. So it's, it's not the traffic that's causing my stress. It's my desire for there not to be traffic that's causing my stress. If I'm willing to just accept the fact that there are some cars in my way, surrender to the fact that it's not the universe's job to conspire to make me happy, then I can learn to relinquish and I can learn to let go. Now, of course, it's my preference that I don't sit in traffic. 
I'd like to not sit in traffic, but the universe isn't really concerned with my likes or my preferences. Those cars are there. I have to accept that as reality. And now I can choose a thoughtful and intentional response to sitting in traffic. And it's that response that will determine my stress level. I mean, think about it for a second. You and I could literally be sitting in the exact same traffic. We could be in cars right next to each other and you could choose to resist it and fight it. You could choose to white knuckle the steering wheel, honk your horn, possibly curse some obscenities and have this attitude that this is just, this is happening to you. And this is so unfair. And I can't believe all these morons are in my way. That could be your response to sitting in traffic. Whereas I, in the car next to you, could simply say, I'd prefer there wasn't traffic, but this is what's happening right now. And and I'm okay with that. I'm going to either enjoy some quiet or some stillness, or maybe I'm going to listen to a podcast, or maybe I'll even call my parents and catch up with them. I haven't talked to them in a few days. I'm going to text the person that I was supposed to meet for lunch and politely let them know I'll be a few minutes late because there's traffic. You know, it's the same traffic jam. And yet you and I have very different responses to it. We, We internalize it very differently and thus have very different feelings of stress towards that. So for me, that's kind of the foundation to which the rest of the house is built is the acknowledgement that we don't control these outside forces, but we absolutely control the thoughtfulness of our response. And I want to choose responses that decrease my stress, not increase it. That's great. And I think the other key here, I mean, you know, using stress is one of the things you you have here in chapter five, which is part of this first section of perform and managing stress. And and I think that's what you're alluding to here. But the other four pieces, there's things that people who have listened to this show have heard many times before, the word focus, time and energy management. But there's one actually specifically that I don't think anybody's talked about here before, which is the word poise. Now, what do you mean by that? So I mentioned Eckhart Tolle. There's another, and I say this with a huge smile, a, 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 who was an older gentleman at the time I came across his work is a guy named Wayne Dyer. And he said something during one of his workshops that I found really profound. He held up an orange. And he asked the audience, what comes out when I squeeze this orange? And everyone kind of looked around a little perplexed. I guess it was so obvious that they really didn't know what the answer was. So he kind of, you know, plotted them along and said, will apple juice come out? And folks kind of had a giggle, you know, will, will grape juice come out? And then everyone kind of got his point and said, no, orange juice will come out. And he said, well, why will orange juice come out when I squeeze this? And they said, well, that's what's inside. And that was really his point. You know, when life squeezes you, I, I say that in air quotes, when life challenges you or, or deals you, you know, some adversity, what comes out of you? Well, it's whatever's on the inside. And if what's on the inside is a sense of calm, then you'll be able to remain poised even amidst, you know, the, the storm of adversity and challenge. If what's inside of you is this irritation, this annoyance, this anger, this feeling that this is being done to you. Well, that's what's going to come out as well. And then you're going to be frazzled. You're going to be rattled. You'll be the exact opposite of poise. So the the ability to slowly improve our mental toughness and condition ourselves to be okay in the eye of the storm is what allows us to be poised, is what allows us to avoid getting rattled or frazzled, even when things are incredibly chaotic. And, And this is one of many things that I'm proud of the progress that I've made and I like the path that I'm on, but I'm certainly not speaking from a place of mastery. I believe I have much more poise today consistently than I did a year ago or five years ago or definitely 10 years ago, but it's still an area that I'm continuing to improve and level up. You know, one of the things that that brought to light how thankful I am that I've been able to do some of this internal work is when the pandemic hit. And like many people, life was massively disrupted 
And I'm proud of the fact that I was, for the most part, able to handle that with a a pretty decent amount of poise, certainly not perfect, but that goes back to kind of some of the work that I had done leading up to that. Now, even if the book just contained this first section, it do people a lot of good (laughs) managing their stress in the day-to-day. In other words, getting their game going, but that's not what the name of the book is. It's sustain your game. And I think there's really the next two parts are really where that comes from. Not that the first doesn't lend to that. That's the short term. That clears the deck. That makes it possible to then start moving in the area of avoiding stagnation. So when you're talking about pivot, why use the term pivot when you're talking about avoiding stagnation? Well, I use that term very specifically, drawing on my experience as a basketball performance coach. Uh, For anyone listening to this that's not very familiar with the game of basketball, one of the moves or or one of the, the parts of footwork that is most important for a basketball player is the ability to pivot. They, in essence, have one foot, quote unquote, nailed to the floor, but they're allowed to move their other foot without any type of violation or for a walk or a travel to be called, thus being a turnover. And the reason they're able to do that is when you pivot, you change your vantage point. You change the angle at which you see your teammates or the opponent or the court. So pivoting is one of the most important tools for a basketball player because it allows you to change your current circumstances and see things differently. So, you know, from where I'm standing with the ball right now, I might not be able to see you as my teammate, or I might not be able to make a certain pass to you, even though you're open based on where the defender is. But if I pivot, now I have a completely different vantage point or angle and it changes the game. So I use that word very intentionally drawing on my basketball experience. And it's the same thing here. When you find that you're kind of on that hedonic treadmill, or you find that you're just treading water, or you're feeling really complacent, and you've clicked on that mental cruise control, what you need to do is pivot. You need to do something to to jumpstart and make that change so that you now see things differently, and you have a different vantage point or a different angle. And, And that's really the impetus of breaking out of stagnation. You know, when we talk about stagnation, usually what we're talking about is we've stagnated our outputs. You know, we've stagnated our results. We've stagnated our mindset or our perspective or our attitude. Those things have started to flatline. And in order to jumpstart our outputs, we have to look directly at our inputs because those things are, are connected. You know, the quality of your inputs will determine the quality of your outputs. So the first thing you have to ask yourself is, what are my inputs right now? What am I reading, watching, and listening to? Who am I investing my time with? What am I feeding myself content-wise? As in, you know, who am I associating with on social media? Or who am I following on social media? Uh, What am I watching on on TV or on Netflix? What am I listening to? And, And if you can start to level those things up, a higher quality of input will yield a much higher quality of output. And it'll help you break through that those stagnant times. Now, in this section... This middle section here, which is the the medium term, the short term was the day-to-day and the perform. Medium term is pivot and uh, avoiding stagnation. You've got certain chapters in here dedicated to things like taking control or reinventing or reaching out, expanding your circle and your world, as well as positivity. Why are these the pieces that fit inside of this pivot section? Well, going back to the inputs versus outputs, you know, if, if you acknowledge that your outputs are flatlining and you, you acknowledge that you need to kind of jumpstart and shake up your inputs, first and foremost, you have to recognize what portions do you have control over and which don't you? You know, I'm, I'm a huge believer to put as much of your time, energy, and focus into the things we have control and influence over and learn to surrender, accept, and let go of the things that we don't. Part of that is the ability to reach out. 
you know, reach out to people that have, have already blazed the trail that you're going down, you know, whatever it is that you're aspiring to do, if it's a specific area of your vocation, you know, reach out to someone that has already done that or someone that can provide coaching or counsel or, or feedback in that area. Don't feel that this is something that you have to go at completely alone. We're communal beings as human beings. So reach out to some other people. Positivity is, is another one. You know, I, I always want to be very careful with positivity because I think there is a, an element of what I call toxic positivity that's been fairly rampant over the last few years. And, and the toxic positivity approach is kind of under this guise that no matter what's going on, just smile, give yourself a couple of positive affirmations and, and just act like everything's going to be great. And I find that when you do that, you actually end up suppressing your feelings and your emotions or you ignore them or you resist them. And I've, I've never been a, a believer in doing that. I think we should be willing to face and acknowledge all of our emotions and feel them for a reason. But that doesn't mean we have to allow them to dictate our behavior. Uh, I had one one guy say to me one time, he's the mental performance coach for the San Francisco Giants in Major League Baseball. And he said, our emotions are designed to inform us. They're not designed to direct us. And I found that to be incredibly profound, which means there's nothing wrong with feeling a wide palette of emotions, but you have to be very careful in letting, especially the negative ones, steer your behavior or steer how you treat people. So with that said, from a positivity standpoint, this is when you need to embrace things like gratitude and optimism and enthusiasm. You know, when you can inject gratitude and optimism and enthusiasm into your work and into the way that you're seeing the world, that can absolutely help you break through some stagnation. So what about taking control or reinventing? Again, stagnation is you're you're on the same path for so long. Why would somebody feel like wait, now I need to take control. I'm already in control. Why would somebody feel like maybe they need to take control again? Is it recalibration? Oh, I love that word. Yes. A good portion of this will always fall under recalibration. But I have found that while consciously people feel like they've taken control, what they've done unconsciously is they've relinquished control. They've given a lot of their control away. Now, this actually piggybacks nicely on what we were talking about earlier as far as a stress response. You know, when we choose to view stress as something that happens to us, when we choose to view stress as a direct result of circumstances or events or what people say or what people do, we've given our power away. We have now placed our power and how we feel and how we see the world in the hands of something that is completely outside of our own control. But when we can acknowledge that we don't control those things, but we do control our response. And I want to put all of my faculties, mental, physical, and emotional into having thoughtful, intentional, and meaningful responses. Now I've taken that power back. So I think many people are under the false guise that they are in control when they've relinquished their control and given it away because they, they have kind of this, and I know this will sound harsh, and I don't mean this with an ounce of condemnation or judgment, but they kind of play the victim card. They kind of say, you know, what, what, what's happening right now is not a result of what I'm doing or thinking. It's because something else or someone else. And, and that's the whole key to taking control is being able to acknowledge that I have control over my own effort and my own energy. 
And I'm going to try to align those things with becoming the best version of myself as consistently as possible. So we absolutely need to take control. And from a reinvention standpoint, you know, reinvention can happen in a couple of ways. You know, if you work in a traditional work structure, you know, you are an employee at a company and you find yourself starting to stagnate, you know, you can talk for, you know, to the people that you report to and see if there are some ways you can reinvent yourself and reinvent your role within that structure. You know, if, if you're starting to feel burned out on your current position, do you have some skill sets and some mindsets that maybe you could move to a different department or take on a slightly different role or increase and or decrease certain responsibilities that will allow you to make a more meaningful and maximum contribution to those around you so you can reinvent yourself within a traditional corporate structure? Many people choose, and, and I think this is a, a portion of the people that kind of led the great resignation, if you will, were people that just wanted to reinvent themselves completely. That says, hey, I've been working in this industry at this company at this job for X number of years. It's no longer filling my bucket, but I have the skill sets with utility that I could actually do something else. So I'm gonna I'm gonna find a new job in a new industry at a new company and completely reinvent myself. And you know, on some level, that's kind of what I did. You know, after a 15 year career as a basketball performance coach, I chose to reinvent myself as a corporate keynote speaker and author. So those are are kind of on either end of the spectrum. And then there's grades certainly within in between. Now, the third section, obviously, it's called prevail and it's about beating burnout. And a lot of the beating of burnout comes into play in the day to day, which was the first section. And some of this taking control and reinvention and positivity and, and avoiding stagnation. If you're not stagnant, if you've got, you know, a regular routine and rhythms, et cetera, for managing stress, burnout is much less likely to happen. However, here we are, prevail. So what do you mean by the term prevail? And is this kind of a spot where, say, you're not doing great in the others and you're far down the line, doing some of the things here to stave off burnout may help you? Oh, I'm so glad you went in that direction. You said some really powerful and insightful stuff there. And and that is In essence, there's nothing we can do to be completely immune to burnout. I mean, we can't promise that we'll prevent it, but we can take steps to lessen the occurrence and lessen the severity of it. And you just mentioned that. I mean, and that starts with the first two portions of the book or the first two sections. You know, I I look at stress as a too much problem. I look at stagnation as a too little problem. And the combination of them is what can often lead to, to burnout. So if, if you're following along the steps that we've already shared in this very delightful conversation of, you know, I'm finding ways to manage my stress in the day-to-day, I'm finding ways to avoid complacency and stagnation in that midterm, if you're practicing those two things consistently, you have drastically decreased the chance that you're going to face burnout. But it's still possible. And if you do find yourself staring down the barrel of burnout, the first thing you need to do is be able to acknowledge it and be able to admit it. You know, we never improve something that we're unaware of and we'll never fix something we're oblivious to. So bringing it to a level of awareness and being able to say, I'm aware of the fact that I'm slowly starting to approach burnout is a massive first step. And it's one that shouldn't be, you know, overlooked. With that is understanding that that you are not alone. And that these feelings of burnout are, are normal. They're part of the human condition. And, and as I said, no one is completely immune to them. So it's really important that once you've acknowledged it and you're aware of it, that you give yourself some grace and some compassion. You know, one of the, the most detrimental things we can do when we're feeling burnout 
is to start to stack guilt and shame on top of that. And that is a really dangerous emotional cocktail that will only make things worse. So we have to be able to acknowledge that, you know, while burnout is, is not necessarily ideal or preferred, it's part of the human condition. And to look at ourselves with some empathy and some compassion and being able to kind of diffuse that, take the sting out of that is what will allow you to make some decisions that, you know, hopefully get you out of that burned out space. Excellent. So some of the things that are down in this section are engage the process and rest and play. Rest and play, we've kind of talked about already in terms of taking certain amounts of time off. However, I think maybe this is a long-term strategy here. So how would you relate that to what you were talking about earlier with your, you know, your weekly, your quarterly, your annual? There's more to it for rest and play than just that. Certainly. I mean, it's, it's embracing the concept that in order for us to be quote unquote on for our job, we have to follow that with periods of being off and that we have to embrace leisure. We have to embrace the activities and the people that help fill our buckets and light us up. So to me, where this is done most effectively is on a daily basis in your morning and your evening routines is being able to incorporate the self-care that's required for you to constantly refill your bucket and be your best self. And, and that does include rest. And when I say play, that's a very broad term. That's, that's engaging in any activity that you enjoy and that lights you up and that fills you up. So whatever that may be. And that, that play, quote unquote, can be something in the, the physical realm, the mental realm, the emotional or spiritual realm. So it's just being cognizant of the fact that I need to incorporate these things then. But I, I want to touch on what I do think is, is arguably the most important, and that is em- embracing uh, the process and engaging in the process. Let's make sure that it's something that's active. What I find one of the causes of burnout is we put all of our focus on the outcome or the results or the destination, that we build all of this up. And then when we actually, even if we reach the outcome, the goal or the destination, There's a a letdown that follows right after that because we've put all of this time, energy, and made so many sacrifices to reaching this thing, and the elation we get from it is usually pretty short-lived. Now, I have not climbed Mount Everest, but I have certainly uh, researched and interviewed people that have, and they talk about you know uh, how painstaking and arduous it is to reach you know the top of Mount Everest and and how many years and months it takes in training, And, and then the actual climb itself. You know, and then you get there and you look at this magnificent view. And after about 30 seconds, it's like, okay, well, what's next? And and many of them feel almost a borderline depression as they're going back down the mountain because it's like, I spent all of this time preparing for that 15 to 30 second view. and, And now there's this letdown. And the way that we remedy that is by not putting all of our focus on the outcome, but instead on the process, on learning to enjoy the work enjoy the process, or in this analogy, actually enjoy the climb. Yeah, it's going to be hard and it's going to require some sacrifice, but when you can learn to love the climb, then you've already won. You're already getting enjoyment and fulfillment and elation out of the doing. It's not just this, did I hit the target or not? It's actually loving the work. And for me, that's the biggest remedy to burnout is not getting tied up in outcomes or results or destinations. Just let those be the natural byproduct of the work you do, but learn to love the work and love the climb. And then you've already won in advance. Well, and I think that some of the seeds for engaging the process are already planted in the second section when we were talking about taking control and reinvention. Because you're thinking about that long-term engagement with the process even then. 
Absolutely. Yeah. These things, you know, even though I, I tried to write the book in these three different sections, if you will, they're all interconnected and they're all somewhat cyclical as far as, you know, it's, they're not compartmentalized, you know, in this neat, clean, progressive and sequential order. We are toggling in and out of these three things almost at all times during our life. And, and sometimes some of them are, are more in our face and, and more prevalent than at other times. But these are things that we're always trying to balance. And again, they all work together. You know, if generally speaking, you can do a pretty good job of managing your stress on the day to day and you can fight off the temptation to be complacent or stagnant in that midterm, you're already setting yourself up to decrease the occurrence or severity of burnout. And once again, if you can throw in loving the work and loving the climb itself, then you are slowly bulletproofing yourself against having that extreme feeling. Obviously, there's a lot more to all three of these sections and the book as a whole, but uh, I'd love to get people pushed over to where they can find out more, dig deeper, find out more about you and the work you're doing, as well as dive a little bit deeper into the book if they're still on the fence. Where's the best place to send people? Well, my main hub is my website, allensteinjr.com. And for the most part, that covers my speaking services. And, and I offer both virtual and in-person programs that mirror the teachings of both of my books. So all of this stuff we talk about, you know, can be showcased in a keynote form or an interactive workshop or, or even a full day training. I have another website, strongerteam.com. So I have allensteinjr.com. And then I have another site, strongerteam.com, which has information not only on the books in more depth, but on my podcast. Uh, I have some one-on-one coaching services I offer and I have an online course. So it's kind of the supplemental site. And then I'm very active and accessible and responsive on social media at allensteinjr.com. Uh, on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Take a tremendous amount of pride and, and enjoy engaging with folks. So anyone listening, if any part of this conversation has resonated or you have something you want to share or a question you want to ask, just shoot me a DM on Instagram or on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm very good about getting back. And then as far as the books themselves, you know, you can just do a search for Raise Your Game or Sustain Your Game on Amazon or Audible or wherever you like to get your books and audiobooks, and you can find out some more info for sure. Perfect. And I will make sure to link up to all of what you just mentioned in the show notes so people can find it quickly and easily if they're on the way somewhere right now or on a walk, in a workout, whatever. But yeah, Alan, great talking with you. Thank you so much for sharing and thank you for sharing all this wisdom. Absolutely. My pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Eric. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Alan Stein Jr. as much as I enjoyed talking with him. You can find the book Sustain Your Game in the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com. You can also find shortcast episodes of Beyond the To-Do List on Blinkist. Those are seven to ten minute episodes of this show in Blinkist by going to beyondthetodolist.com slash Blinkist. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Again, those are short, quick distilled down to their essence podcast episodes from the past of Beyond the To-Do List. If you found this episode helpful, I would love if you would do me and someone else the favor by sharing this episode. Hit that share button in your podcast player, app of choice. Let somebody else know about this book, this conversation. Help them out. Help this show out as well. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next episode.